The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Churchill said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Kevin Hallinan believes that certainly applies to business. Welcome to Winning Business Radio here at W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. And now, your host, Kevin Hallinan. Welcome back to Winning Business Radio, everybody. I am your host, Kevin Hallinan. The, wish, the mission, easy for me to say, of Winning Business Radio, as regular listeners know, is to offer insights and advice to help people avoid the mistakes of others, to learn best practices, the how-tos, the what-tos, the what-not-tos, and you know, to be challenged and certainly to be inspired by the successes of others. But it's interesting that virtually every successful person I've ever talked to has had some form of failure in their lives and careers. So while we all have to get our knees skinned once in a while, I'm driven to keep those scrapes from needing major surgery. Let's endeavor to learn from history so we don't repeat it. Today, my guest is Steve Seckler, founder of Seckler Legal Recruiting and Coaching. Here's his bio. Steve is a seasoned legal recruiter and marketing coach with 20 plus years of experience working with hundreds of partners, associates, and in-house counsel. He advises attorneys on how to advance their careers and coaches them on taking actions that will help them reach their goals. He's dedicated his entire professional life to helping lawyers find more career satisfaction and marketing success. What gets him excited is identifying ways to get smart professionals to enhance the change, to embrace the change they want, and then move past obstacles that are getting in the way. Sometimes this means making a lateral move. Sometimes this means building a book of business. Both involve coaching. A significant portion of Steve's professional time is dedicated to coaching attorneys on how to incorporate effective business development and marketing techniques into their practices. Coaching focuses on how to build your reputation and how to build your client and referral relationships. They work together to understand what is working, what's getting in the way, and how they can use existing strengths to augment business development. Other clients have focused on finding ways to make their current platform work more effectively. Many lawyers are happy right where they are and realize they could be they could get more done to develop themselves as rainmakers. As a marketing business development coach, Steve helps lawyers find the right mix of practice development tools that work best for them to grow their practice. He works with the management at smaller law firms on general firm marketing and management issues, including staffing, succession planning, and technology. His coaching clients come from all segments of the legal community, from senior partners at large firms to in-house counsel to sole practitioners. He enjoys working with a broad range of personalities, and his clients tell him that he's very effective at communicating with them in a way that is most helpful to their own professional needs. Let's see. In the past, he served as law practice management section counsel of the Massachusetts Bar Association, including serving one year as vice chair. For four years, he served as managing director of the Boston office of BCG Attorney Search, and for six years, served as director of attorney recruitment and career advancement for a Boston area search firm. He's a 1988 graduate of Northeastern University of Law School, and while deciding not to practice law has worked well for him, he takes great pleasure in helping other lawyers be successful. Steve, welcome to Winning Business Radio. Kevin, thank you for having me, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. (laughs) You wrote it. 
<laughs> no, it, this is this is I, I kind of pieced it together from what you sent me. It's very good. It's very rich. And I even left some things out, which I hope we get a chance to talk about. You do blog, you do um, you do writing. But I wanted to ask first, I always like to find out where somebody grew up. Tell us about your upbringing, probably in New York because you went to SUNY. Yes, I grew up first. Uh, I went from Brooklyn to Queens to Long Island. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great Neck was mm-hmm. where I spent most of my formative years. Mm hmm. And I came up to Boston to go to law school in 1985, and I never left. I fell in love with the city. And did you fall in love with somebody else? That came a little bit later, but I did <laughs> fall. I did fall in love with somebody else. And that someone else's name is first name. Uh, her name is Jenny. Jenny. And do you have kids? I do. I have three adult children. And tell us just quickly what they do. Uh, well, the oldest is a high school English teacher in New York. Oh, cool public high school. The mm-hmm. second one is a paralegal now mm-hmm. at Legal Aid Chicago. Oh, and the wow. third one is going to graduate this spring, God willing, yeah. from o- Oberlin College studying nice. sustainability. Nice. Tough, uh, tough last year and a half or so. Hasn't been great for some of them, I'll just yeah. say. Yeah. Not all of them. I think the one in New York who's been already established it hasn't been that difficult mm. for him. It's got to be tough on college students, though. I mean, we've we've got some high schoolers here. Uh, you know, our, our, we have a couple kids live with us. My wife's nieces and nephew live with us. Uh, our kids are older. The youngest is 24. Nobody's in college. But it's got to be. I know how tough it is for kids in school on Zoom. And I can imagine it's tough on college kids, too, because you miss that social element of interacting with your fellow students, your professors live and, you know, that college life. I think the big secret about college is that really what you're paying for is the opportunity to make connections, yeah. build relationships that will last Agreed. you. So tell me what you were into when you were young and um, what made you choose to um, go to law school? Well, I guess I could just say that that I didn't have a, a, a I didn't think I was going to go to law school, mm-hmm. uh, but I was very interested in social action and I got mm-hmm. very involved in various um, nonprofit activities, particularly when I was in college. I did a lot of work with an organization called New York Public Interest Research Group and mm-hmm. got very interested in community organizing. I lobbied in Albany. And the people that I met who influenced me were in the organization were the people who were the lawyers. But honestly, when I did go to law school, it wasn't really with the intention of becoming a practicing lawyer. In fact, I don't mm-hmm. think I really knew any practicing lawyers at the time. I just had this sense that becoming a lawyer would give me the opportunity to make some good change, some, you mm. know, really, really help uh, repair the world, so to speak. It's interesting because when I was in college, I did canvassing, door to door canvassing uh, for a long summer for Massburg Public Interest wow. Research Group. And they were working on the Massachusetts bottle bill at the time, okay, you know, the, well, the nickel recycling. So we, we pulled it off. All right. Well, I did some canvassing one summer for, for Nightbird. <laughs> and I walked from Binghamton, New York to Syracuse, New York, as part of a statewide initiative trying to pass the bottle bill in New York. Wow. That's a that's that's pretty funny right there. Kismet, right? Yeah, well, I can understand now how you became so good at sales because anyone who can go door to door and ask people for money and survive yeah, clearly you know what has, it's a, like. has a thick skin. You know what it's like. <laughs> Um, so tell me, why did you choose Boston or did it choose you in Northeastern in particular? 
Well, I mean, Northeastern has a social justice bent. Mm-hmm. So that, and I think one of the people in Nyperg, one of the the attorneys that I met in, in at Nyperg, or maybe a couple of them, had connections to Northeastern. Northeastern has a co-op program, right? Which I knew, Very good I knew one. It would give, yeah, it's an excellent co-op program. I knew it would give me the opportunity to try things out. And frankly, I did not have a great experience living in New York. It was too big, too crowded, too noisy. Mm. I always felt like Boston was at a much better scale. What would you say, uh, and this is this could go any number of directions, but what, what are some key takeaways from your time at Northeastern? What would you say, I mean, not practicing law, but being a card-carrying lawyer, right, member of the bar, um, what were your key takeaways from law school? Well, I mean, I think my key takeaways from going to Northeastern is that it's, it's really important to get experience and to try things out. Mm. And sometimes, I mean, I think students are more savvy about this, even if they don't go to a school that has a co-op program. But, you know, I have a son who's who's working now, as I said, as a paralegal, and mm-hmm. he's thinking he might go to law school. But I suggested to him and I strongly encouraged him to get some experience so that he can make a decision about whether he really wants to go to law school before he commits and see what it's like. Yeah. And on, honestly, I didn't do that. So maybe my one of my takeaways is that it's probably better to get a little bit of experience before you take the time to get a professional degree. Yeah, especially today with the cost of education. I mean, it was relatively expensive when, when we were younger, but it wasn't like it is now, that's for sure. So I think I, I, think I graduated with $10,000 in debt from law school. So Yeah, my undergrad great. was was less. You know, I had one student loan, I don't know, it was like not quite six grand. I mean, which was a lot at the time, but just picked away at it. Just so yeah. different today. Going, going to law school, I mean, I heard, I don't know how long ago this was, maybe a year or two ago, that the mm. average law school debt was $200,000. Wow. It takes day, a while. In our day, that was a mortgage on a house. And yeah. now, you, now you, if you're not careful or you do have to borrow all that money, then it's, it's going to be like you own a house when you graduate from law school, but you don't have the house. <laughs> Correct. Correct. You have the ability to make some good money and enjoy your career if that's what you like. So you, when you left law school, um, it's interesting. One of the jobs I want to ask you about mass continuing legal education, MCLE. Right from the get-go, you were interested in helping develop people, lawyers in particular. What what caused you to want to do that? Well, to be honest with you, because I hadn't had experience practicing law, when I went through the co-op program, I did four co-ops, and at the end of it, I wasn't feeling it. You know, I mean, it was 1988. I, I was actually having trouble finding a job as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But I also wasn't that committed to becoming a lawyer. My experiences as a co-op student didn't convince me that I actually wanted to practice law. Having Mm -hmm. said that, I really enjoyed being around lawyers, and I really liked knowing a little bit about a lot of things. When you become a lawyer, a lot of times you're rewarded for going very deep on a very narrow topic. Mm -hmm. When you work with lawyers like I did and have done, you can be very wide and an inch deep. So going to MCLE was actually a great experience to learn a little bit about a lot of areas of law and to meet a ton of lawyers and it wasn't mm-hmm. and judges. And it wasn't just any lawyers. I mean, the people that were volunteering to pre- present that MCLE were the leaders of the bar. Yeah. So I really got to see how the leaders of the bar functioned. And that was exciting because I sort of feel like I got to hobnob with people who were way beyond my pay grade, so to speak. And so you kind of got your chops 
learning from people who built marketing plans for their firms or for others, right? Yeah, I mean, most of it originally was more around just helping people, you know, like estate planners plan estate planning seminars or or litigators plan litigation seminars. Mm -hmm. But I did start to help plan marketing seminars where we had consultants come in. And the thing that I learned from watching some of these really talented lawyers is how they really developed their niche, how they promoted their niche, and how they got the world to know what their expertise was. So it was sort of like just watching that helped educate me about how professional services marketing worked. And after a while, you found yourself at uh, BCG, Boston Consulting Group, right? No, no, no. That's, uh, is that, no, is that no, the other that, BCG? It, it's a, a very, it's a BCG attorney search. Okay. Not, not connected. Ah, but but long about before that. that, but long before that, All right. long before that, um, in 1997, mm-hmm. uh, I my wife had her, you know, we had our second child and I realized that having a nonprofit income was not going <laughs> to cut it. Yeah. So I basically just left and started my own recruiting and coaching business. And at that point, you know, when I grew up, you asked me what, what it was like, yeah. where, you know, what my early, early childhood was like. I grew up in a household where my father was a math professor and my mother mm-hmm. was a school psychologist. And let's just say that business people were not well-respected in my family. (laughs) So what I learned from MCLE is that selling professional services actually can be very honorable because it's really, it's really about relationship building. It's not hard sell. So I really enjoyed that. And I, and I wanted to teach other lawyers what I had learned about that at the same time, basically at MCLE, I really was a recruiter. I wasn't getting paid like a recruiter. Mm-hmm. It was a nonprofit job. But well, what I was mostly doing was identifying talent to create our curriculum and to be the speakers. And so that skill set transferred over very nicely into a recruiting business, which I started on my own in 1997. I wanted to hear. I want to hear about that. What was? And we have about less than a minute before we go to our first break. But just start, and we'll pick it up after. What caused you to want to go that direction? Because that's pretty specific. There's a tremendous need there for sure. That is legal recruiting. Well, I I just posted something today on LinkedIn. It was a blog post I did a little while ago that when you try to make a transition, look for a bridge. So there's got to be something that's related to what you did before Mm -hmm. that is connected with what you want to do in the future. I was working at a nonprofit. I was putting together seminars. But what was I doing? I was recruiting. And I I was doing it with lawyers. I was also learning a lot about marketing and I knew a lot about professional services marketing and that was mm-hmm. a bridge to my coaching business. Excellent. All right. We'll take our first break right here. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Steve Seckler, founder of Seckler Legal Recruiting and Coaching. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan on W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. Don't go away. More helpful information is coming right up, right here on Winning Business Radio. Have you ever dreamt of being on the radio? Well, now is your chance. Be a radio show guest on the number one ranked internet radio station and promote you and your business for free. Yes, you heard it, free. Business advertising right here on W4CY.com. Call 561-506-4031 now to get booked on one of our shows. That's 561 
1-800-506-4031. Get your free advertising now. You can tell what's wrong with a car just by sitting next to it at a red light. You can tear down a big block engine in 26 minutes. You know cars. We can help you find more of them to work on. And together, we can get your small business moving in the right direction. At AT&T Advertising Solutions, we have more ways to reach more people. With print, online, mobile, and direct marketing, AT&T Advertising Solutions has local advertising experts to help your small business find more customers. Call 1-800-GET-REAL to learn more. AT&T. Rethink possible. Is your pet overweight? Suffer from itchy skin and coat problems? Showing signs of food allergies? Then do your pet a favor. Stop by Fiesta Pet Deli. South Florida's original and only fresh food deli for pets. Prepared daily and FDA approved. With products like Bravo, Nature's Variety, and BioComplete. Listen, dogs and cats are carnivores. 90% of their diet should be meat. That dry kibble you put in their bowl every day contains less than half of what their bodies require. Veterinarian owned and operated, Fiesta Pet Deli has one mission. To get your pet as healthy as possible. Give them a call today at 954-971-2500. Or come check out their new store at the Festival Flea Marketplace at Sample Road in the Turnpike in Pompano, Florida. They also offer free local delivery, shipping throughout the United States. Check out their website at www.realfoodforpets.com or just Google Fiesta Pet Deli. If you truly love your pet and care about their health, stop by Fiesta Pet Deli. Call today at 954-971-2500. Hey, this is Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. Now back to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan, presenting exciting topics and expert guests with one goal in mind, to help you succeed in business. Here once again is Kevin Hallinan. We're back with Steve Seckler, founder of Seckler Legal Recruiting and Coaching. And Steve, we were talking about your recruiting experience. You've done that for many years. Uh, you saw a need. You saw a bridge. Talk about what makes legal recruiting work. Legal recruiting works if you're persistent. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're the recruiter, you have to kiss a lot of frogs to find your prints because mm-hmm. it's a high-end business. The firms that are willing to pay fees to hire talent are only looking for a very thin sliver mm-hmm. of the legal community. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least that was the case when I first started 25 years ago. It was mostly about helping large law firms find talent. So the people that are working at these large law firms, it's hard to find people who will see value in going to another large law firm, but that's changed Mm -hmm. a lot in the last 25 years. How so? So I think over time, maybe 30 years ago, I'm not sure that anybody was doing much recruiting in the legal Mm -hmm. sector. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, it was more about the big firms. I think smaller firms have grown accustomed to paying fees to search firms, understanding that they can get access to better talent. Yeah. And they don't have to take their, the eye off their own, um, billable hour ball, if you will. Uh, that's true. That's true. I mean, lawyers aren't always necessarily the greatest business people. So sometimes that calculation doesn't always happen where Mm -hmm. you're trying, you know, not every law firm or lawyer understands the value, but those that do often end up with better talent in my Mm -hmm. opinion. So you've done a lot of legal search. Do you think you do, would you say you do more search than coaching? So 
traditionally I've made most of my income through doing legal search mm-hmm. and I've expanded it to not only doing more work with smaller law firms, but also in-house opportunities and corporations wow. don't use search firms as much for lawyer searches, but those are really good opportunities for those of us in the legal search business because lawyers want to hear about those opportunities. I would say in the last year, I've really started to shift my business more in the direction of coaching, Mm -hmm. especially with the pandemic. I've started to really think like many people about what do I really want for my own life? Mm -hmm. And I really get a lot of pleasure out of coaching. I get a lot of enjoyment out of helping see other people be successful. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm actually best at that. I'm good at recruiting. I think I'm very good at coaching. Before we shift over to coaching, because I definitely want to get there and I want to spend the bulk of our time there. Tell the audience about in-house positions. So in-house positions would mean general counsel, assistant Mm -hmm. general counsel, contracts counsel, Mm -hmm. patent counsel, positions in a corporate law department. So you're not, we're not talking about positions in a law firm. We're talking about where the lawyer is going to have one, basically one captive client. Mm -hmm. And those traditionally have been very desirable roles for lawyers who are in law firms because it means that you don't have to build your own book of business. You don't have to keep track of your billable hours. And the perception is, although it's not actually entirely accurate, is that quality of life, work-life balance is better in-house. So lawyers are very interested in hearing about those opportunities and they're not as easy to find. And those companies need specific skill sets, specific experience, I would imagine. Well, they do need specific skill sets. I think industry experience is what tends to be even more important. I mean, Mm. the thing is, the thing is, when you practice law in a medium to large size law firm, the work that you do is probably more specialized than it would be when you go in house. Like if you go to a small law department or there's only one or two lawyers there, you're probably going to be doing a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to be doing some contracts, some employment maybe overseeing some litigation, some corporate. If you're at a big company, then you can do something that's very specialized like you would in a law firm. If you're in a law firm, you're going to be in the corporate department or you're going to be in the IP department or you're going to be in the real estate department. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about, oh, actually, I was going to just get into coaching, but I want tell us about your blog, Counsel to Counsel. So I started blogging I think like 15 years ago and I've kind of, you know, I'm, I'm actually very into it right now. I, you know, you have ebbs and flows over the years. So, but when I first started, it was really exciting to me because anyone who's been around for more than 30 years and saw the development like you and I of the web, mm-hmm. it became a very exciting way to publish, to self publish. Like before mm-hmm. that, if you wanted to get published, you have to had to have an article published in print somewhere. Maybe it would become electronic at some point, but that really wasn't until 1997 when the you know the web really started to take off. So I think it was 2005 I started my blog, and I write about marketing issues, career issues, and it's just a nice way to create content quickly and to not have have to wait for the publisher, the newspaper, or the mm-hmm. magazine to actually put it out there. You just click and it's there. So how do uh, listeners find that? Well, you can find everything you want about me by going to my website, which is counsel to counsel.com. That's counsel, C O U N S E L T O C O U N S E L 
com, And I call it that because that's what I do. I provide right. counsel to counsel. I like it. And you have a podcast named Counsel to Counsel. Talk about the podcast. That's been two or three years? Three years now. Mm-hmm. So in 2018, I've always been interested in, in broadcast. In fact, going back to college, I did, I don't know if you did uh, news, radio news when you were in college. but I did not. Uh, okay, I was well, in the I marching did. band. <laughs> I was. Okay. Well, I, I played guitar and that wasn't one of the instruments. So, <laughs> um, so in college, going back, I, I don't want to say how long, but a long time, yeah. um, I did, I did the news and I always enjoyed this medium. It's just, I've always enjoyed broadcast. And so in 2018, I realized this is a trending medium. I'd been listening sure. to podcasts for many years. And I just love it. What I love about it is that it gives me the chance to interview people who I want to get to know. And it also gives me a chance to interview people who I feel like I can learn something from. Mm. And so sometimes clients hear it and see it and listen to it. And it, it helps me develop business. But the primary reason that I do it is because it helps me learn and helps me be a better coach. Well, frankly, the guests I get most excited about are the ones that I, I can learn from. And that's almost everybody, by the way. Um, all right. So in you're, you're a coach, you coach attorneys and you mentioned, or I read it in the bio, you talk about helping people get past obstacles. Talk about what some of those obstacles look like. How much time do we have left? (laughs) (laughs) We have plenty of time. (laughs) So I'm dealing with lawyers mostly, right? Right. So lawyers are very analytical people. They're very task-oriented. They're very focused on their work. They aren't always focused on relationships. Mm-hmm. And lawyers are very risk-averse. So a lot of what I do when I'm working with lawyers is get them to articulate what I call dysfunctional beliefs. Oh, you know, I can't true. do this or somebody's going to be annoyed if I call them. And I help them move past their fears and take action. Good. So lately, my joke is, since we've become all very oriented towards Zoom, I say that I'm not a doctor. I'm a Juris doctor, but I play one on Zoom. Very good. I like and those it. are the, the obstacles are mostly in people's heads, really. Yeah. But I, I, I see the patterns, though. I see the patterns because... Like I said, I grew up in a household where my father used to say, you know, business people are operators. I mean, that mm-hmm. was his definition of a business person. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with that message that, you know, a lot of people go to law school because they didn't want to go to business school. <laughs> but one of the dysfunctional beliefs is that somehow selling is dirty. And it's not at all, actually. Reach it, brother, because that, that's I, I talk about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Well, so I'm, I'm sure you do the same thing. You get your clients to, I'm sure that you're, you're not necessarily dealing with, with lawyers, right? Once in a while, but mostly uh, businesses, yeah. Yeah. So the businesses that you work with, probably people are more oriented towards, they know that one of their objectives is to actually sell. Mm-hmm. Lawyers don't think that way. They think, my objective is to identify risks. And selling, as you know, is about opportunity, taking chances. Mm-hmm. Lawyers can talk themselves out of doing anything because <laughs> because of the risk. You know, it's like, oh, my God, I can't do that. You know, they'll be mad at me or, you know, I won't be billing enough hours or actually that's another one of the big tensions. Yeah. Trying to trying to set aside time for work that isn't going to be billable. 
And I, actually, I heard a, um, a really nice way of putting this. So it's been referred to in the legal community as non-billable time. Mm-hmm. So the COO of Burns and Levinson, Paul Morton, he, I recently spoke to him and, and he, he said that what it should really be called is investment time. Oh, good. So, so the, the work that you're not mm-hmm. billing is time you're investing in marketing, time that you're investing in professional development, law firm management, and self-care. Those are all things that are going to make you more successful. Self-care. I was just talking to somebody about that today. Um, she's stressed because of the workload, and it just is what it is. The company's growing rapidly, and she's, she's not unhealthy, but she's not actively working on her health. So she's not sleeping a lot. She works till late at night, doing extra stuff, um, has a hard time making that delineation. So you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, so you know. I mean, you're in this in this line of work, so you know that you're part psychologist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. True. Um, you also coach on building practice, building the practice. Talk about that. Well, I guess when I say building the practice, I am mostly talking about growing revenue. So that really is my way of saying making your, your law practice generate more income. I Let mean, me ask- it could be... Oh, I'm sorry. So I was just going to ask as a segue, and this will take us about 30 seconds to the next break. This question's probably been asked a lot of times. I've never heard the answer. Why is it that law schools don't teach lawyers to market? Well, if you know the answer. Uh, I mean, because, you know, it's a conservative profession and that's mm-hmm. not what they've traditionally done. Mm-hmm. I think there are more classes now, Good. but I don't think they're taken quite as seriously, at least at some of the top law schools. Mm. it's not considered as intellectual as understanding the finer aspects of constitutional law. We're going to come back to that question. We're going to take one more break. Uh, We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Steve Seckler, founder of Seckler Legal Recruiting and Coaching. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan on W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. Don't go away. More helpful information is coming right up, right here on Winning Business Radio. Have you ever dreamed of having your own radio show? Well, W4CY Radio makes dreams come true. You can be a radio personality on the number one ranked internet radio station in West Palm Beach, Florida. We can be heard in 105 countries in all U.S. states. Promote your business. Earn up to $10,000 per month and more. It's all up to you. Have fun and be heard. Call 561-506-4031. That's 561-506-4031. Start your radio show now. This is Colt Ford, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. Be seen, be heard on the Internet's number one ranked radio station right here in West Palm Beach. What a way for your business to have a voice. Now is the time to advertise your business on W4CY.com. Call 561-506-4031 for a deal you won't refuse. Again, that's 561-506-4031. Don't wait. Call now. Hey, 
Hey, this is Johnny Three Tears from Hollywood Undead, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. Now back to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan, presenting exciting topics and expert guests with one goal in mind, to help you succeed in business. Here once again is Kevin Hallinan. We're back with Stephen Seckler, Seckler Legal Recruiting and Coaching. And I want to ask kind of that, that prickly question again is, is uh, why uh, law schools don't uh, spend more time teaching their students soon to be legal uh, members of the legal profession, how to market, how to build relationships. And you gave me an answer, which I appreciated, but I'd like to hear a little bit more. What's your, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, there's a whole debate in the legal education community about how much law school should be a trade school where you're learning actual skills. And I I Mm -hmm. would say that since I went to law school, which is quite a long time ago now, even though I went to Northeastern where you had co-ops, where you had practical experience, Mm -hmm. the classes themselves were still very, I guess, intellectual. They weren't really that practice oriented. I mean, the course, you know, you take constitutional law when you're a first year law student. Constitutional law is fascinating, but very few lawyers will ever use constitutional law in their practice. Mm -hmm. But it's considered a very heady subject. So I think it might just have to do with the fact that there's only so many hours that they can schedule in True. the curriculum. And I think there's really a de-emphasis, again, on practical skills. I think that has changed quite a bit. I, I was going to say that probably has and probably will, at least to some degree, because it's just a, a you know, good, bad, or, or indifferent. It's a fact of a lawyer's life, is if you're not in-house counsel, if you're at a firm, at some point, you're going to need to make rain. That's true. But, you know, even professional schools like medical school, I mean, you don't necessarily learn the practical skills of how to run a medical practice. Quite true. Quite true. Uh, I mean, it's it's endemic in every profession, I think, that the professional schools focus on the profession itself, and they figure if you want to learn how to run the business, you'll learn that afterwards. Agreed. Um, so what are some other obstacles you see that uh, your clients have towards uh, in the way of getting the, they're bringing in more business or b- building better relationships, deeper relationships, really marketing, as attorneys call it? I think fear really plays a big role. I think mm. people are, are you know, worried about coming across as a salesman. And there's a lot of pressure in private practice to record billable hours. That's mm-hmm. a, a huge one, really. And not only that, those are the things that are measured in law, law yeah. firms. So yeah. at the end of the year, if you don't hit your billable goals, you may not get your bonus. So, you know, the expression that which gets measured is what gets done. Mm-hmm. Now, once you become a partner and you're starting to get rewarded also for your originations, then that might change a little bit because now you know, okay, well, if I generate another $100,000 worth of business, I'm going to see a nice chunk of that in my Mm -hmm. paycheck. Mm -hmm. The problem is that lawyers learn to become lawyers. They work on transactions. They work on litigation. They're servicing clients. They're working for the partners. And then suddenly they're supposed to turn the switch and switch from being the person that's doing the work to being the person that's getting the work. Yeah. And they don't, they don't always get those skills along the way. I think some good firms will invest some time and energy in trying to train. There'll be partners that will mentor. So I feel, I feel that as a coach, I can fill that gap, that void. 
I can help lawyers get from being the associate who does the work to becoming the partner who, who brings in the work. I'm so sorry, some, the, associate, the associate who does the work to the partner who mm. gets the work. So larger firms have marketing departments. They don't, they're not doing that. I mean, they're doing a lot of good work, but what are they, they're not doing that development of the individual. Business development has not traditionally been a function that has been relegated to professionals in law firms. It's been mm -hmm. left to the professionals. What the, what the marketing and business department, business development departments might do is support the lawyers in their activities. So a lawyer, they'll help a lawyer get a speaking engagement. Then the lawyer does the speaking engagement. The lawyer is going to make a pitch. The business development department will put together materials to support that pitch, examples of other work that the firm has done. Mm -hmm. Or they might have internal coaches. At the bigger firms, there are people on the business development team that will coach people internally to help them come up with their plans, help them think through who are their A-list contacts, who are the people they want to cultivate, what are some of the comfortable activities they can engage in in order to better build their practice. Got it. All right, let me ask this. What is coaching to you? What does it look like when you work with clients and who are good clients? Coaching is a way to achieve higher levels of performance. Mm -hmm. The people that are good candidates for coaching are the people that want to achieve higher levels of performance. If somebody is not interested in generating work or being somebody who brings in work, it's going to be very hard to coach them. They have to want to develop that skill. So how many lawyers does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> One, but the light bulb has to want to change. Oh yeah. <laughs> I knew that's really a, a CP. A, that's really a Jewish CPA joke that my Jewish CPA told me, but okay. it's still a good one. <laughs> it is. A, it is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like working with people that get my sense of humor. I mean, yeah. honestly, if you, you and I are both involved in provisors, mm -hmm. I have learned more in the year and a half that I've been involved in provisors about marketing and business development than I have in the last 30. Wow. And the one thing that I've learned more than anything else is the importance of being authentic. Yeah. So I'm from New York. I have a very dark view of the world <laughs> and I have a very warped sense of humor. <laughs> and I'm not saying I can't work with people that don't share those, those common backgrounds, mm -hmm. but I do work very well with people that have that orientation or at least people that will appreciate my stupid dad jokes. I mean, I try to make my work fun. Yeah. I try to make people comfortable because it's about being comfortable. It's getting, you know, I, so the example that I use is in coaching is like, you know, I don't need anybody to tell me how to get in shape. I know what I need to do to get in shape, but during the pandemic, like many people, I've put on the COVID-15. I'm mm -hmm. working on taking it off a little bit. If I were working with a, a trainer right now, I'm sure I'd be lifting more weight mm -hmm. and the person would be correcting my technique and maybe right. suggesting other things that I'm not doing that I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good thing to add in. So I don't define the goal, although I might help people come up with the goal, right? but then I work with them to move past the obstacles, keep them accountable. That's a really important thing, which I'm sure you do in your work as well. For sure. For sure. 
And it's just fun, you know? It's fun to see other people succeed. I mean, there's something called the Myers-Briggs, which is- Yeah, good, thank you. I want to ask you about that. Okay, I don't really honestly use it as much anymore, but it's a way of understanding people's personalities and personality preferences. And in, in particular, it's a way of helping you understand how your personality might be different in, than somebody else's communication style and how you might want to adjust your communication so that it meshes with the person that you're trying to communicate with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're dealing with a, a potential client who's very detail-oriented, even though you might be a big picture person, you want to give them a lot of detail. If you're dealing with a person who's not very detail-oriented and they just like the big picture, if you inundate them with detail, they're going to get annoyed. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, my my Myers-Briggs profile is ENFP. And without getting into great detail and getting into the weeds, each of these four, 16 different profiles matches nicely with a particular career choice. You see people gravitating towards certain careers based on their Myers-Briggs profile. ENFPs are coaches. They're people that enjoy seeing other people succeed. That's me. That's authentically me. Yeah. I must share that. I, I've never, I know of the Myers-Briggs. I've never done the Myers-Briggs, but I wouldn't be surprised if I would come back similarly. Yeah, I bet you, yeah, I, I think you would. Yeah, because the, the, e, the e is, an, you're an extrovert, right? You get mm-hmm. your oh, energy yeah. from being oh, with yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Uh, N is uh, how you take in the world. Are you very into the detail or are you sort of more intuitive? I'm sensing that you're sort of more of a big picture mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. The next element has to do with how you make decisions. Is it based on sort of more feeling or logic? Lawyers tend to be T's, very logic oriented. Mm-hmm. And I care more about how other people feel when I'm making decisions. I sense that you're like that as well. I think so. And then the last element has to do with how structured you are in terms of how you approach the world. So J is judgmental, P is perceiving. Lawyers are TJs. They're very analytical. They're very closure-oriented. Mm-hmm. I'm the opposite of that. I'm an FP, and I think you are too, where you sort of, you're open to the possibilities. And in terms of deciding how to make decisions, you're very oriented towards how other people are going to react. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's correct. All right. Tell I, us I what ju- I, ju- I just saved you fifty bucks on. You the, did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'll split it with you. Um, what does a typical engagement look like in terms of time, longevity, etc.? So, if I'm lately, I've been. I seem to be working with a lot of people on career transitions. Those tend to be yeah. a little bit more limited. A lawyer isn't happy with with what they're doing, but they're not exactly sure why. Those might last three months. Could could last longer. When I'm working with a lawyer to develop new skills around marketing, business development, I say that, you know, I like it to be six months at least because I want to change the the habits. Yeah. And if it's not yeah. six months, it's going to be hard to see any measurable change. I'm not necessarily going to see results because it could take years to develop business, but you want to change the behavior. And, you know, there are people that I've worked with for a year. Mm-hmm. I know other coaches that have people that just have a coach. They work with that coach. For years, I don't have any clients like that. But as I transition into doing more coaching, I suspect that I probably will have more of those. Yep. That, that would make sense. What are some of the habits that people either need to change or develop? I think one of the habits is 
not saving marketing for a rainy day. Ooh, that's a good one. Because like a lot of change, it's much more important to do a little bit all the time than mm -hmm. it is to have one big splashy effort. So I think that's a, a very big one. Um, there are, there are a lot of habits. There are a lot of things that, that people can change in order to improve in marketing. But that, that's the first one that really, really hits me over the head when you when you ask the question. Would it be fair to say they have to get out of their comfort zone a bit? So a habit of maybe asking a question when they'd rather be quiet, you know, to develop a, a new relationship, for example. Well, being a better listener for sure is, mm -hmm is a much better, is a much better, um, way I think to develop business relationships mm -hmm. coming to the table prepared so that you know what questions you're going to ask, but, but then listening. I mean, lawyers are used to counseling and that might be giving the client the answer. Business development, as you know, is about finding out what some of the problems are and you can't know what the problems are or the issues are that the client wants to solve until you ask questions and listen Very to the good. answers. Yeah. That's quite true. How do you hold people accountable? What does that look like? We have regular meetings. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the client. If we're still at the planning stage where we're trying to figure out what their plan is, I'll do it every couple of weeks because that it's going to take them a while to get through sort of do an inventory of, of their activities. Maybe they're working on revamping their bio so that they could better articulate who is their ideal client. Mm -hmm. So that might be every, every couple of weeks. But once I get going with somebody, a lot of times I'll switch them over to every week so that we have tasks that are mm -hmm. very concrete, tangible, measurable, achievable that they can accomplish once a week. I also started doing something. I don't know if you use anything like this, but I, I was turned on to it, um, an electronic tool, which I think is really cool called Trello. It's actually free. And basically it's kind of like in the old days when you and I were in school and you have to, you get a project and you write things down on index cards and then you mm -hmm. move the cards all over. So this kind of lays all your, you have like different lists of things. So I have like one list of my Trello board that says like podcasts and I'll have like a list of the 10 people I want to interview. And then if one person I'm not going to do it for, I'll just take the card on my screen, just move it down to the bottom. So I'll set up one of those things with my clients. I'll have, you know, one, one list for marketing activities, one list for relationship building. Mm. And I'll just break down one for maybe practice management. If there are things having to do with actually getting their actual work done that they're, that they need to investigate. So that's another way that I help people hold people accountable. And then I'm just, I'm just like, a persist persistently annoying, you know, like, especially, <laughs> especially if they don't do their homework, Yeah, you know, and I, I always get permission from them. I'm like, you know, sure. do I have permission to bug you? And they're like, yes, you know, and they usually, oh, they need it. you to. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we, we all need that. So last couple of questions, who in the listening audience should have a conversation with you? So what might be going on in their career where, why, uh, in which they should say, Hey, I got to call Steve. Well, let me first say that while I do work mostly with lawyers, like any mm -hmm. professional that is struggling with how to start to generate work, I'm happy to talk to. And if I'm not the right person, I can certainly point them in the right direction. Right. 
But any lawyer that's feeling like they're not generating as much work as they would like or they don't know how to make that transition from doing the work, any lawyer that has a career question or issue, they're not sure they're in the right place, they're thinking maybe of even leaving the practice of law. Wow. And in, in general, any lawyer that has career or marketing questions, I'm always happy to talk. Most of the people that I speak to, they don't become my clients. But I really, that's the best part of my day, just trying yeah. to help people. That's excellent. Uh, what's the best way for people to, people to reach out and get in touch? So the best way to find me is on my website, counseltocounsel.com. That's mm-hmm. C-O-U-N-S-E-L. T-O-C-O-U-N-S-E-L dot com. And you could also just Google my name, Stephen Seckler. I don't think there are that many of them. Or Stephen Seckler, attorney, coach, or anything like that will quickly quickly bring bring that up. If you Google counsel to counsel, you might see my podcast, you might see my blog, but everything is linked on my website. Right. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I've learned something. I think others have too. And I would encourage anybody that's in those scenarios, reach out, talk to Steve. Thank you. Kevin, thank you so much. I really love what you do. This is a great service that you provide the business community. And I'm honored that you invited me to be on. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This is a show about business and business challenges. If you've got concerns about the growth of your company and you're a sales organization, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or LinkedIn at Winning Business Radio. Or you can drop me a note. Kevin at winningbusinessradio.com. Our company is Winning Incorporated. We're part of Sandler Training, and we develop sales teams into high achievers and sales leaders into true coaches and mentors. We're not a fit for everybody, but maybe we should have a conversation. Thank you, as always, to expert engineer Rebel Medler. Tune in again next Monday, February 22nd at 4 p.m. Eastern. My guest will be Cindy Hazel. She is the CEO and founder of High Dive. High Dive is a full-service user experience strategy, human-centered design, and interactive development company. That's a mouthful. She's fascinating. Until then, this is Kevin Hallinan. You've been listening to Winning Business Radio with your host, Kevin Hallinan. If you missed any part of this episode, the podcast is available on Talk 4 Podcasting and iHeartRadio. For more information and questions, go to winningbusinessradio.com or check us out on social media. Tune in again next week and every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time to listen live to Winning Business Radio on W4CY Radio, W4CY.com. Until then, let's succeed where others have failed and win in business with Kevin Hallinan and Winning Business Radio.